great podcast today. Uh, your economy and what is coming, really. Uh, what our our main thrust of today's podcast? What do you do with inflation like we have today? How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your family? What's really going on with uh, the banking system and the Federal Reserve? We talk about cryptocurrency and just about everything else. And then we switch to space storms and space weather. Something you will not hear anywhere else of why those 40 satellites just burned up. Elon Musk doesn't know about space weather. Uh Uh-uh, don't buy that story. And the TV shows that are must-watches. introduce you to somebody that i just uh met over uh skype last night and i wish i would have known him a long time ago you could have set me straight a long time ago he is the director of the political forum institute and the author of a book that came out last year the dictatorship of woke capital how political correctness has captured big business his name uh is uh steven sukup and uh, Stephen, welcome to the um, radio program, the Glenn Beck program. How are you? I'm, I'm well, Glenn. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Now, you were on with me last night, um, and we, we talked for about 10 minutes, and I think there's a lot for people to go back and watch the TV show on Blaze TV and get that. I want to start with the number one question I get from people. Glenn, why would these big corporations do this and sabotage capitalism can you answer that i could try um generally when we're talking about corporations that are going woke that are embracing this cultural leftism uh most of them are getting pressure from one of three directions they're either getting pressure from the bottom up which is employees uh, who are uh, interested in changing the politics of the corporation. Uh, they're getting pressure from the top down, which would be from the C-suites. Uh, Disney, for example, uh, when Bob Iger was the CEO, was definitely moving in that direction because that's what Bob Iger wanted. Uh, and then uh, companies also get pressure from the outside in. Um, this includes activist shareholders. It includes just general activists. And it's all sorts of people who want to put pressure on these corporations to take a political stance. So how many of them are really aware of ESG um, and what the World Economic Forum is going to use these things for? How many of them are like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that? Well, I, I think there's probably a, a bare minimum that are on board with it. Um, but most of them are scared to death to resist. Um, they know what happened to Exxon last year, for example, uh, when engine number one, a uh, small hedge fund, decided to try and put environmentalists on their board of directors. Uh, what happened was uh, all of the large asset management firms, BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, all threw their weight behind the environmentalists and, in fact, replaced three of the company's uh, directors with these radical environmentalists who want the company to uh, quit uh, producing fossil fuels. Uh, so the, the Leaders and the directors of these companies understand that 
there are people out there who wield an awful lot of power and can do an awful lot of things uh, if they don't comply. So I think most of them are just complying simply to save their own skins, which would be I mean, historically, that doesn't work out well, because if you no, don't absolutely it doesn't. you don't stand up, you end up selling your soul and you're like, oh, my gosh, now I'm in real trouble. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, in the book, I believe I refer to it as Churchill's crocodile because of a, a phrase that mm. Churchill said that, you know, it's you feed the crocodile eventually, um, you know, he waits to get you last, but he eventually gets to you. Yeah. Um, so last night we started talking about what people can do about it. And I have said, mm-hmm. move your money. One of the first things you can do, move your money out of these big banks that are pushing ESG move them into credit unions or local, local, local banks uh, that keep their loans, et cetera, et cetera, and are promising to stand against ESG um, and and are pouring money into your local economy. That's uh, an important thing. The states have got to pass anti-ESG financing laws, and we've got 20 states that are working on that right now. But you said... You proposed another idea that I hadn't thought about, and this one uh, sounds really effective, and it goes right to Vanguard or BlackRock, etc. Yeah, um, if, if people are uh, interested in stopping what's going on, then they need to be interested in where their investments are, where their retirement savings is being invested, uh, because the chances are pretty good that it's being invested in companies like BlackRock, like Vanguard, like State Street, that are pushing this very political agenda. Um, you know, one of the things that the states have done is to take some of their funds, the funds that they have direct control over, and remove it from from BlackRock investment funds. Uh, Because specifically, they don't want to allow BlackRock to use their money uh, to leverage Larry Fink's political goals. And and that's the type of thing that you can try uh, to do on an individual level. Now, if you work for a big company uh, with a big 401k plan that, you know, is centered in, you know, a city a long ways from you, then you're not going to have a whole lot of luck trying to get them to change their minds about where to put the 401 one K plan. But the truth is most Americans work for small businesses. Most Americans know their employer. Most Americans have an opportunity uh, to change how their retirement funds are being used. And this is important for a couple of reasons. Not only does it stop or would help stop uh, these companies, once you take the money away from them, they're in trouble. Um, But the other thing is, is if you look at BlackRock's philosophy, et cetera, et cetera, and all of these ESG companies that are investing your money, they are not looking at profit anymore as the main driver. In fact, they might take deals that are worse for you, um, but better for the environment and social justice, et cetera. Correct. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, CalPERS, the California uh, pension system, the, the public pension system in California was among the first large asset management firms to go woke, to say, you know, this is something we're going to do. We're going to invest in ESG. And their returns have consistently over five, six, seven years been two to three percent lower 
than average market returns, which is to say that they're achieving uh, their political goals while at the same time punishing the firemen in Sacramento and the policemen in Encinito and, you know, all of the, the public employees who are counting on this money for their retirement. They're getting them less returns in order to uh, push their political agenda. So how does that work with f- fiduciary responsibility? Well, it, they fudge it. Um, you know, Larry Fink uh, just put out his annual letter to CEOs last week, and he said, look, it is my fiduciary responsibility to find companies that are preparing for net zero uh, and are preparing for the climate that's going to be surrounding this transition uh, in the way we produce energy. And if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be meeting my fiduciary responsibility. So mm-hmm. he's basically making up a new category of responsibility. And the, the sad thing is that the, the SEC and the Department of Labor and all of these government agencies that are pushing uh, ESG investments uh, essentially are enabling him to do so. So if you are in any kind of index, like your money is with Vanguard, or what are the big ones? Vanguard, Blackstone, BlackRock. Right. Those? Uh, the, the big three, the big three generally are considered to be BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard, okay. uh, who together have just over 20 trillion dollars in assets under management. And so if you can get it out of of those three, because they're really leading the way uh, for they're this. Leading, yeah, they are absolutely leading the way. And, and, and it doesn't matter to them whether you are invested in the in an ESG fund. They will take any fund, any leverage they have, any money that they have to use uh, against companies and push their political agenda. It doesn't matter if it's ESG. As you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this interview, uh, Larry Fink has, has decided that the most important investment criteria for uh, his firm to look at is sustainability. It's no longer pure profit. It's about sustainability. So what they're doing is they're taking a a different approach uh, to the purpose of a corporation, and it's going to cost people in their retirements. And it's happening even at our treasury. It is it's happening all over the world. Um, You know, the governments are doing the same thing. Well, it's not necessary, you know, not necessarily the best thing uh, in the short run for people or for uh, you know, even the economy, but it'll be better in the long run, which I can't see how it is. Can you? No, I absolutely cannot. And, and in fact, I, I think that Boris Johnson is going to find out pretty quickly. Uh, they're going to end up uh, with a new prime minister, and he's going to claim that it was because he kept going to uh, having Christmas parties. But the truth of the matter is that his conservative transition to net zero in Great Britain has, has cost the British people an awful lot with rising energy prices and uh, an energy crisis. And this is what the future looks like in a net zero environment. I can't understand why more people aren't concerned. I mean, I guess because they just don't think it could ever happen here. Um, but the direction we're running with all electric uh, cars being uh, rolling out of the factories, all electric cars rolling out of the factories, um, you know, by 2030, um, the death of the gasoline engine, uh, the shutting down of coal plants, uh, you know, the um, the fact that we're no longer investing in any fossil fuels. This this is one of the worst. This will just cause misery and death all over the world you can't do that in eight years 
Yeah, the, the only people who seem to acknowledge that at this point uh, are the uh, Chinese Communist Party, who has said that it will do its best to transition, but it, it's not going to punish its people for its uh, transition to uh, a zero-carbon uh, future, that it will do whatever it has to do to make sure that its people have the energy it needs to continue to be uh, economically pr- productive. You said last night, and, and then I'll let you go, but you said last night that the left has tried everything for the last hundred years and they've kind of captured everything, but this is the final piece. They finally really understood it. Can you go through that? Well, uh, if you look at the history of the way the cultural institutions in the West uh, have evolved over the past hundred years, uh, one by one, they've all fallen uh, to what amounts to cultural leftism. Um, the only one that stood standing from about 1970 onward was was big business. Uh, and now big business, obviously, is the, is the final target. Uh, if big business falls, then there's no bulwark to stop it. That this, you know, this is essentially uh, the way our society becomes. This is, uh, you know, they've captured every institution of uh, cultural transmission in the West. And, you know, this and that's pretty much the end of it. Yeah. Um, the way you phrased it last night is they tried with the Supreme Court. They they did Hollywood. Right. Uh, you know, they took education. They've taken and this is it. This is the last yep. piece. It's quite fascinating. Thank you so much for being on. I, I hope we get a chance to uh, talk again. Appreciate it. God bless. Excellent. You bet. Thanks, Colin. You bet. Okay. That's uh, Stephen Sukup, uh, who is um, the author of a book, came out about a year and a half ago. The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. I really believe that this this was set into motion back in the 80s uh, because of, of Reagan. And that was the whole thing about the Tides Foundation. We got to get and capture the board of directors. And that is exactly like he said, these companies, some of them are afraid to go the other direction because of the pressure. And they saw what happened to uh, uh, Exxon. How do you put three environmentalist wackos onto the board of directors for Exxon that want Exxon to get out of the oil and fossil fuel business? You do it because the Tides Foundation worked uh, and they have captured and will continue to capture the board of Every single big business, which is why it is so important. Local, local, local. Don't support um, any of these big businesses if you can do business locally. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. We're talking to Carol Roth. Um, Carol, BlackRock, a company that most people a year ago had no idea it even existed now more and more people know about it and it is trending on twitter today this is a company that has just absorbed barclays jp morgan i mean this is the powerhouse of hedge funds now and really setting the pace for all of this horrible wicked stuff that is happening with esg etc they're they're uh, trending today is it because of their stance on crypto that is making them trend 
Yeah, so BlackRock is interesting. You're one of the biggest, most powerful companies in the world. They are the biggest asset manager. They have around $10 trillion in assets under management uh, per their last report. And they have, well, they haven't announced, but it has been announced and they're sort of shuffling around uh, on whether it's true or not that they are going to be getting into the crypto trading business. So they have an online platform and they're going to allow um, their institutional clients to trade crypto. And it sounds like potentially use it for lending. It was unclear on whether they will be their clients will be able to oh. pledge crypto as collateral or they whether they would be able to get a loan to buy crypto or maybe both. But that's what's got Twitter. OK, so morning. here's the problem. They are involved with every central bank in the West. I mean, they are, they have $20 trillion of just central bank money that they control and invest. They are now investing for the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, the Treasury, they have two heads of their company, former heads of their company, in with the Treasury. One is, Another one is an advisor for the president, the chief economic advisor. The other one is the chief economic advisor for the, for the vice president. So they're everywhere. The government is currently and the Treasury going after cryptocurrency. <laughs> what how how does this make sense? Uh, there's sort of the simple answer, and then there's you know, sort of the hypothetical answer. The simple answer is money. That they're institutional clients, and they have, as I said, uh, you know, the, the most assets under management in the world. If the institutional clients are demanding it, they don't want to risk those clients going elsewhere. Mm. So, if you know that they want to be part of the money play, but I think that there's also um, something else going on, and whether it's the government going after cryptocurrency, whether it's it's um, potentially creating a digital dollar instead of an open source crypto um, currency. If you are BlackRock right now, you are on the outside of crypto looking in. But if you all of a sudden become a significant player, what does that give you? That gives you access to information and information is power yes. and information is money. And so they will have that really mm. bird's eye view of what's happening, what the demand is, who's trading and how it's being traded. And that could be very instrumental in potentially helping to shape policy. So that would be, again, I, don't, I have no knowledge of this. Yeah, 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 just, I know. You know, Carol sort of going through the, the strategic, yeah, the strategic yeah. run and thinking sure. that you know, if I were if I were interested in weighing in on this, I would certainly want to have better access to information. And what better access to information if, than if I control that information? Uh, we're talking to Carol Roth, a former investment banker. She calls herself a recovering investment <laughs> banker, and she cares deeply about um, our country and Main Street and the regular person and trying to get the word out on what is coming. Uh, and I so appreciate you, Carol. Um, I have been giving the advice, get to a savings and loan or get to a local, local, local bank that keeps their loans local and invests in the local community. Get away from anything ESG. A lot of people are, you know, writing to me and going, Glenn, I, I mean, I don't know what I'm even looking for. I don't know how to judge these banks. Can you help? 
Absolutely. Well, definitely everybody has a different financial profile. So you need to make the decisions that are best for you based on your goals, objectives, risk, all those kinds of things. But I also have been getting, since talking to you and the fact that you're highlighting this in your book, The Great Reset, uh, a lot of inquiries from people saying, you know, I'm interested in staying away from these financial institutions that are very heavy into ESG. I don't know how to research it. So I wrote a piece for The Blaze. And what you have to understand is that there are a handful of institutions and individuals who are driving this. And there are a whole bunch of others that are sort of jumping on the bandwagon and really have no idea what it means either, but they want a virtue signal about it. If this is something that is important to a company, they are going to advertise it because they think they're the good guys. They think that they are doing the right thing and they think that you care about this um, in the opposite way that you probably care about this. So the best thing to do is to take a look first at their website to see if they have any mentions of ESG or other words that are like ESG, things like socially responsible investing or sustainable mm -hmm. investing, that becomes a clue. But a lot of companies don't update their websites that often. So you're also going to want to do a you know a quick internet search, um, look at press releases and look at articles. And again, don't jump to conclusions, but use this to help to inform you how, you know, how serious do they seem about it. You can check their social media accounts. Is this something that they're putting out on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook? Again, if it's really important to them, those are the kinds of places they're going to want to be showing it off that they're a quote unquote great citizen. Um, and then you can also ask for their own financial institution annual report. You can ask if they have an ESG report and you can ask their representatives, is this something that's important to you as, for, as an organization? And if it hasn't made it down to the representatives again to say, oh yes, this is something that's important. It doesn't guarantee that it's not floating around somewhere, but you know that it's not um, an important tenant. And frankly, I would I advise will, people, I, I, Hang ahead. on just a second. I I will tell you that we had, and I won't mention the bank, uh, one of the big banks that is a driver of this, tell us a year ago, no, it's nothing. It's none of that. Really? So, I mean, that's at the highest level. Um, we said, we don't, we, yes, we have it on our website. I mean, there's also a lot of smoke and mirrors. So you really have to, you just have to use your gut on this. Absolutely. And what I would say is we need to use our voices and make it make it known because, again, corporations um, tend to run in risk cycles. They think this is something that people are interested in. Most of them have no idea what it even means. And so if they hear from more people, they don't want it. That is going to impact their Correct. decision making. So if you leave for this reason, if you're comfortable to put your name on it, great. If not, do it anonymously or do it as part of a group. But you should be writing to banks and say, I pulled my money because I don't believe in this. I believe you should be focused on financial centric decisions and all of this other stuff is nonsense. Mm -hmm. So the more feedback that you can give, um, you know, I think the better chance we have to stop it, stop it because you know, the virtue signaling only goes so far, but at the end of the day, if it starts to impact profits, that's going to change things uh, pretty substantially. Yeah. And I would tweet your letter. I would tweet your information and I would come up with a hashtag, you know, whatever the bank is ESG uh, and so people can follow it and others can join you. That will make them uncomfortable. And if they're not dedicated to it, you're right. They will begin to fold. And How I would even add 
do hashtag no ESG because if they yes. think that it's just ESG, they may think that you're actually pro it and you'll get a conflation of people who Got are. It. But make it super clear. No ESG. Got it. Um, anything to say about how you pick a bank or a credit union? Credit union, the best place to put your money now? I mean, again, it's very dependent on the individual. I mean, the great thing about a credit credit union is that you are not just a customer, but when you take on an account, you become a member. So you actually get a vote and a say on, on the direction of the business. And that you know can be very important. The trade-off when you go to an institution like that is that it may have a um, less robust technical interface where it may have fewer products and services. So you have to marry what do you need to manage your finances with you know your your key values and find that right fit for you. The most important thing if you're looking at you know whether it's a, a local financial institution, a credit union is just to make sure that you do have that insurance and most of the, them do. Uh, a credit union is insured by a different group than FDIC. It's a credit union administration, the NCUA, and they have the same limits. It's I think about $250,000 per account. So you want to make sure each account uh, to, to, that you have the high class problem that it doesn't go over right. that limit um but uh but you want to make sure that they're insured Do and then you can look into their history to make sure that they don't have um, a large amount of, of loans that are in default because that's sort of a key indicator of a bank that could potentially have problems so, or financial institution that have, could have problems i know with the new law after uh the 08 crash they changed it so the the depositor is the is the last in the line to get their money. Okay. The bank can use those deposits to pay everybody else off and you're the last in line because the government covers, covers it. Um, is, is that true with credit unions like banks? Do you know? You know, I don't have sort of the, um, the ins and outs of that, but you know, the less complex, the financial institution, um, you know, the, the less you have to worry about sort of those right. lines, right? You know, if they're not doing crazy things like derivatives and, and crazy right. loans and whatnot, um, you know, the, the more simple and straightforward, you know, the higher up in the packing order you're going to end up being. But the most important thing is that that money is insured um, by the government, you know, at least for the time being, that still has, you know, some modicum of, uh, of help and, and should give you some comfort. Um, the time you expect interest rates to start to move. So there is a March meeting that's coming up. And I think for the Fed to keep credibility, they probably have to do the first rate hike. Then there is a discussion on whether that is a quarter of a basis point or half a basis point, which is a or 25 basis points or 50 basis points, which is a quarter of a percent or half a percent. Um, I think likely 25 basis points, but it could be as much as, as 50. And then we'll have to look at their language to see how they're going to telegraph it for the rest of the year. I mean, some people on Wall Street at this point are, are expecting maybe up to six hikes this year, uh, which will really throw the, the stock market and potentially the economy into jitters. I personally think they're between a rock and a hard place because they don't want the interest rates to rise because of the interest that we have to pay on our $30 trillion of national debt. I think they're going to do everything in their, their power to maintain that credibility of doing something, but doing the least amount possible. So I'm more in the camp of maybe three. If we have 5% interest rate, how much of our federal budget goes to paying for that $30 trillion every, every month? 
So it's probably out of every dollar that you give the government, um, about 30 cents of every dollar will go to servicing interest if we get back to a normalized interest rate of 5%, which is the whole reason, by the way, Glenn, why they have depressed interest rates to this you know, zero level for so long. Correct. Because they're running cover for the government. Carol, thank you so much for all of your work and uh, her article on banks. And uh, she's written a a couple of articles and going to be writing a lot more for uh, Blaze.com. How to Research Your Bank's ESG Activity, uh, TheBlaze.com. Her name is Carol Roth. You can find her at CarolRoth.com. You can also find her book, The War on Small Business, uh, wherever books are sold. Thank you, Carol. Appreciate it. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Now, I know nobody cares about the sun because the sun doesn't affect us at all. Global warming, all of these things, solar flares, that's crazy people talk. Okay. Um, Let me give you a story that broke last week, and I'll bet you you didn't hear about it. SpaceX is feeling the pinch of that solar threat this week. Now, when I first read this, I went, what solar threat this week, right? Yeah, I didn't hear about it. The company expects to lose nearly a full launch worth of Starlink Internet satellites. Okay, so they launched like 49 of these. Last week, 40 fell to the earth in a fiery flame. 40. That seems kind of catastrophic, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. kind of like, eh, we got eight left. Kind of a big deal. I didn't hear about it. You know, there are so many things going on. Well, Here's what happened. There was a a solar storm. Now, Pat, how many times have we heard in our lifetimes? I'm 58 today, right? Yes. 58 today. Happy birthday again. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm 58 today. Satellites have been going up my whole entire life. Yours too. Uh How many times have you heard about those solar flares causing 10 satellites? One satellite falling to a fiery death i don't think i've ever heard i don't think i've ever heard it either maybe maybe one maybe i'm i can't Mm -hmm. recall it but i'd like to give my you know memory you know or like this with 40 i just didn't hear about it um and so 40 of them falling seems kind of like a big deal but these storms are not uncommon Space weather experts explained to CNBC, and they're only expecting to worsen over the next few years Mm. because the sun started a new 11 year solar cycle in December of 2019 and is now ramping to a solar maximum that is expected to hit in 2025. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, the reason why solar storms have not been a big deal is for the past three or four years, We've been at what we call a solar minimum. Okay, so for the past three or four years, we've been at a solar minimum. Can you explain the other 55 years of my life? <laughs> uh, what, what's happening about that? Notably, the recent solar minimum coincides with a massive spike 
in the number of satellites in low Earth orbit. About 4,000 small satellites have been launched in the past four years. A lot of these are commercial ventures, and they don't understand how significant space weather can affect satellites. I know. I hear this all the time from people who launch satellites. (laughs) Space weather? Why didn't somebody tell me about space weather? Right? I mean, the people who are launching satellites, it's not like they do that all the time. It's not like there's a lot of math involved. It's not like you're taking something out of the Earth's atmosphere and putting it in the way of direct space weather. I can see how Elon Musk missed this. I mean, he's not a very bright dude when it comes to science, you know, and he's so busy going to Mars that he probably hasn't even thought of space weather. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So that's the story you'll get from the press. However, I and my team are geeks, total and complete geeks. About six years ago, maybe, on this program, and I have followed this because I've been fascinated by this theory my whole life. Um, It's called Polar Shift. And we talked about it about six years ago. The poles are moving, and it happens every 12,000 years. Well, the good news is we're not at 12,000. We're not close to 12,000. We're at 12,500. Okay, so we're overdue for Mm -hmm. a polar shift. Now, there's two parts to this, and I'm only going to get into one. The magnetic poles now are probably more like 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Okay, the magnetic poles. We don't really know for sure what happens and when the tipping point is, but they basically just go... And when they hit this tipping point, then the South Pole is, was the North Pole, and the North Pole is now the South Pole. Or maybe the uh, West Pole is now the South Pole, and the, uh, and the East Pole is now the North Pole. We don't know for sure what's going to happen. We just know kind of a big deal, okay? Um, yeah, because it's the magnetic force that protects the Earth from the sun. Exactly right. So, how could a small solar uh, storm, when these satellites are all built, well, except for the ones Elon Musk made, because he just doesn't understand space. Uh, They're all built to withstand storms that are a thousand times stronger. Okay? And we're going to have those storms soon. We have in the past. It's normal. We will have storms that are 500, 800, 1,000 times more powerful than this. The reason why is because our magnetic field, because our poles are changing, is so weakened now that those storms are coming all the way through and coming and hitting the low Earth orbit where our magnetic field had those things bouncing off before. So I've had this theory for a while. Now, this is where it gets this is where it becomes Glenn 
weirdo Glenn stuff. Okay, this is <laughs> we are no longer talking science. And I know that's what you come for on this show. Deep, deep science. <laughs> uh, but I have said for how long, Pat, uh, that when what we have expected comes, you know, this global new world order. How are you going to solve this? And I have said for at least a decade. I think it's going to be solved the way that. Um, God solved uh, the Tower of Babel. What happened at the Tower of Babel? Tower of Babel, the elites got together and said, let's build a tower to the sky. They actually, they said, let's make bricks and build a tower that will reach the sky. And the bricks, God makes stones, meaning individuals. Everybody is different. Dictators, authoritarianism, the other people make everyone exactly the same. You will comply. You will believe this. You will say this and only this. You become a brick. So when when Nimrod said we're going to build a tower to the sky, what he meant was or when he said we're going to make bricks, we're going to make everybody exactly the same and they will toe the line. Basically slaves. And then we're going to take those people and they're going to build this tower to the sky and we will be all powerful. Okay? So if you know about um, oral history, if you have a good rabbi, oral history uh, will tell you, Jewish oral history will tell you that there are many faces of God, the angry, vengeful God, the compassionate God, and I don't know, the one that wants candy. I, I don't know. But um, the, the one that came down for the power of, uh, Tower of Babel is the compassionate God. He wasn't mad at the people. He was compassionate. He saw what was happening to them. And so what did he do to destroy the power of Babel? What did he do? He confused their language so they couldn't understand one another anymore. And I thought to myself about 10 years ago as I'm thinking, how are we going to get past what is coming? I thought, you know, our language is not English. Man's language now is ones and zeros. Massive solar storms work as EMPs. You lose just, I mean, let's just talk about the satellites. You just lose our satellites, our low earth satellites. I think GPS satellites are low earth. They now have to, because our poles are changing so fast, they now have, they usually, I think, were changed every 10 years or five years, and now they have to be changed every year because the poles are changing, so the GPS is off, and so they have to constantly change them now. Uh, when we start losing things like GPS, when we start losing things just in space, let alone an EMP, our language of ones and zeros doesn't work anymore. Do we understand each other anymore? Can our society remember God said, if they can do this, they'll be able to do anything. We're now talking about artificial life, man creating life, artificial life. 
artificial intelligence. The guys I know in Silicon Valley believe artificial intelligence is life. Because they don't believe in the soul. They don't believe in God. They, don't, they, they believe that they are going to create life. If they can do that, they can do anything. And almost anything and everything is being done now. All with ones and zeros. When we get quantum computing up to speed, which is soon, soon, almost anything can be done. I, I don't bring up the the polar shift. I, I'm really interested in the polar shift. I've I've been fascinated by it since I was a kid. Um, and I don't bring it up as a catastrophe. Oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. No, I mean, maybe. I mean, no, let me rephrase that. Yes, all of us do die in the end. I think we die at different times. I hope so. Um, and not from, you know, solar flares or a polar shift. But I, it is, I found it interesting that the first thing these solar rays are going to do are start affecting our satellites. Because I've never seen that before, at least like this. Our magnetic field is getting weak. This might be a really good thing. I mean, not for us, but I mean, really good, good thing for humans and yeah. freedom. Right, because... When you look at the oppression and the shutting down of people uh, and how far advanced the governments are now as compared to 70 years ago when when we had real oppressive regimes. This and, is Hitler's dream. Oh, yeah, I just look I what mean, they can do to China with a billion plus people. They know where everybody is at all times. They you know, the World Economic Forum says about the Great Reset, we will know. What you do, what you want to do, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, what you think, and even what you dream about. You are taking humans, God's, you know, creation that he wanted to be free and individual, and you're taking them and you are controlling them in the most evil way. I just don't think he stands for that. Yeah, and we've brought all the the devices willingly into our home that allows them to do all these yeah. all these things. And the only thing that frees people from that electronic mm. cage is a global Maybe. EMP. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, just some interesting thing that you, mm -hmm. if you have a geek friend, you might want to share.